Well, good morning. Thank you, Phil. Bringing my phone up here on airplane mode so I can see the time. Um, kind of new. Don't preach too much, so you have to balance. You know, you never really know. You kind of can estimate how long it's going to be. But um, it is just a blessing to be here with you all. Living Word Bible Church is just, just even the name is just what I'm passionate about. It is the Word of God, and um, which all of us should be, right, as believers, because that's the truth that we have. So this morning... We're going to kind of be jumping around a bunch of different um, texts. The main place we're going to be, and you can go ahead and flip there, is uh, Romans chapter 8. We're also going to be looking um, a little bit in First Peter chapter 2. And then we'll be spending a little time in Galatians 5. So, so yeah, Romans 8 is going to be the bulk of the, the text and... Um, Really, just it's a little difficult when you're preaching kind of like a one-off sermon um, to really say, Lord, what should I preach? You know, obviously something from his word, because that's the only power, that's the only thing um, worth talking about um, up here. Nothing I say would be worth anything, but it's easier when you're a pastor week after week and you say, okay, we're going to preach through Romans. So you can just go systematically week by week through Romans. But um, I think one thing... uh, that's important is, is to preach something that you're going through, preach something that you're, you've been thinking that the Lord has been laying on your heart. So for me, um, I guess you can say the title of this sermon is The Battle of the Believer, and then subtitle, Killing Sin by the Spirit. So we're going to talk about this battle of killing sin this morning, something that all of us go through, something that has just been on my heart, I've um, been thinking a lot about. Because when you have a lot of sin, <laughs> you think a lot, a lot about killing it. So, um, so let's begin just by reading Romans chapter 8. We're going to read verses 5 through 13 to start off. So Romans 8, starting in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, this morning would you just enlighten us by your word, God. Would our hearts be willing to accept your word, Father? Would you open our eyes to this battle, this responsibility of the Christian to kill the sin remaining in our lives? 
I pray that your word would be remembered this morning, not mine. So, Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for this body and what they're doing in this city. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. So, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. This quote has been used by many to express a superior work ethic and preparedness to be ready to perform at a high level at a moment's notice. You might hear athletes say this in regards to their sport or their competition. And another thing we can think of is like the military. So staying ready. Because when you're in, in the military and you're in war, you have to be ready for whatever situation. So the amount of training and all the protocols they have in the military allows them to stay ready no matter what happens at battle. This is not difficult for us to understand that the importance that when you are entering into battle or when you're going into something extremely serious, that you want to prepare tirelessly and stay ready. So this morning, as we look at God's word, we're going to study and prepare for the battle which all of us are engaged in. Constantly, even at this very moment, the battle never rests. The battle against our sin rising up in us. Even when we're sitting under the word of God, we can fill our flesh. So, and this is the battle against our sin and our flesh. Like we heard in Romans um, 8, 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So the question I just want you all to ask and think through as we go through his word this morning is, do you stay ready for the battle against your sin and flesh? Now, some of us here this morning, we may not even be aware of this battle. We may hear, hear this and say, oh, am I really in a battle? Maybe, maybe you're here this morning, you don't even call yourself a Christian. Maybe you, you are just here and, and I'm not, I don't think I'm a Christian, but I'm, I'm here. And, um, or maybe you do call yourself a Christian and you've just never really seen this reality in Scripture that we are called to kill our sin and our flesh. And then others of us are, are aware of this battle. We, we've seen it in scriptures. We've read Romans before. We know that we're commanded to do this. But we feel defeated, losing this battle day after day. Friends, do not lose heart. Our God is more merciful and gracious than our minds could fathom. We had 10 million lifetimes to just dwell on God and his grace and mercy we wouldn't even scratch the surface. And if, if we're here today and we are believers, he's given us his spirit, who is our power to put to death any sin which may grip you this morning. There's another reality you must see in scripture. And this is the fact that our sin is more wicked and more heinous than we could ever imagine in this life. And the fact that even all of the sin that you realize, all the sin that you pray against, all the sin that you try to kill, it really doesn't even scratch the surface of all the sin that actually exists in your flesh. So, this morning, my prayer is that God would cause two realities to happen. First, that he would awaken us to this terrible battle. That we would see and that we would believe that we are in a war against our flesh and our sin. And then the second is that he would reveal himself to us and the fact that our God is mighty to save and to equip us to fight this battle 
in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, this morning, if you're not a Christian this morning, or if you, you may say, I, I believe in Jesus, but when I look at my life, I, I, I don't see a life of faith. You're not following Jesus, but instead you're controlled by love for your sin and love for yourself. If that's your condition this morning, then you may be in danger. You may be in danger of not having a true saving faith in Jesus Christ. But I also want you to know that you're also in a battle this morning. You're in a battle against your sin and flesh, just like the believer. But the nature of your battle is different. The reality is that you are in a much more terrifying battle against God himself. Let's look at a few passages to, to see this. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness, sorry, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We see the reality of this war against God for the unbeliever in, in Romans 5, verse 10, as it talks about our, pre, our, our condition before Christ. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So this truth that we were enemies before God brought us to himself. James 4, 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Apart from the forgiveness and righteousness that comes through Christ, all of us would be enemies of God. All of us were enemies of God before he saved us. So friends, as we begin to look at this battle against our sin, we have to start with this, that the gospel is the foundation for the battle of sin, with sin. This morning, we're going to spend a little time just looking at the gospel and thinking about the gospel to, to, to understand that we can't kill sin if we're not saved, if we don't have a relationship with Christ. We can't put to death the sin because it's only, it only happens by the Spirit. So I'm going to ask a few questions and just, just to help us become refreshed because a lot of times the gospel, we, we hear it all the time constantly. But friends, may, may we never let the gospel grow numb to us. So I'm going to ask a couple questions. Just think about your life, and um, then we're going to talk about the gospel for a second. So, first question is, have you ever felt convicted of your sins? Do you feel convicted of your sins regularly? Of course, one time, you know, before we become Christians, we are convicted of our sins, and that's what brings us to Christ. Maybe you're here this morning, and that's why you're here, because you felt convicted of your sins, and you want to come and hear God's word. Another question is, do you understand that no good work you do will ever get you to heaven? Do you understand that? Does that, does that make sense to you? Have you, have, you become to? have you come to believe that? A lot of times in evangelism, one, one simple thing you can do is just ask people, oh, you know, if you died and, and went to heaven, um, you know, why, why do you think God would let you in? You know, do you think God would let you in? And most, most people who don't understand the gospel would say, yeah, yeah I think so. I'm a pretty good person or even just asking people, do you think you're a good person? You know, and, and hearing how people think that good works get them to heaven. So, how would you answer that? Do you understand that no good work will get you into heaven? And, and then the last question is, truly, ask yourself, have you surrendered from serving yourself and turned to Jesus to be the Lord of your life? 
Have you surrendered to him? So before Paul writes Romans 8, where he talks about living according to the Spirit and not the flesh, Paul also writes Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 that lays out the gospel. This, we have this, this letter of, of gospel truth in, in chapters 1 through 7. And then Romans 8 also is talking about the gospel, but it's talking about this battle with sin and the flesh. And we see in Romans 1 through 7 that salvation is found in Christ alone by faith in his death and resurrection. So, again, we must start with the gospel before we can begin to work towards putting to death sin. So, as, as we walk through the gospel, I just ha- I've split up into kind of four sections. Um, you can use these when you evangelize, or I'm sure there's a lot of other ways that people have talked about the gospel. But the first one is just our condition. So, our condition. Understand that God created mankind to, put, to fill the earth and put, his, and put his glory on display. But when our forefather Adam disobeyed God in the garden, sin entered the world. And every single human being born by the seed of man since Adam has been born in sin. This is our condition. We are born in sin. And we're incapable of living a perfect, a morally perfect life. So the second section, first our condition, the second is a holy problem holy problem. So God is holy, and he has created us for relationship with him, to be holy as he is holy. But because we are born in sin, we cannot be holy as he is holy. Therefore, all of us stand condemned in our sin, and we have no chance on our own to be made right with God. If man was ever to have peace with God, God would have to make a way for us to have peace with him, for our sins to be forgiven. So the third section is God made a way. God made a way. What did he do? What is the gospel? What is the good news? God sent his only son into the world, not born of the seed of man. One who was not only capable of living a perfect life, but who did live a perfect life, morally flawless in thought, word, and deed. You understand that? That Jesus Never just sinned outwardly, but he never had one sinful thought. So he was morally flawless, and he died a substitutionary death. And this means that on the cross, he took the punishment of sin in place of all who believe in his name for salvation. And then the last section is just believe and trust. This is our response to the, the way that God made. Believe and trust. Today, if you trust in Christ for your salvation, two things will happen. One, your sins will be forgiven, removed from you, past, present, and future, as far as, as the east is from the west. And two, Christ's, Christ's perfect life and righteousness will be given to you so that God will count you as his child, holy and acceptable to him, to enter back into relationship with him that we were originally designed for. One verse in Romans that just encapsulates all of this is Romans 6.23. 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So friends, we must start with the gospel because the only sin that can be put to death is a forgiven sin. The only sin that can be put to death is a forgiven sin. 
But let's look back at Romans 8, verses um, 5 through 8. We're going to try to secure this foundation of what it means to live according to the flesh or live according to the spirit. And I'm going to walk through 5 through 8, and then we're going to define the word flesh. Because I understand some of us might not actually, okay, I hear that word a lot, but what does it truly mean? So we're going to define it, but let's walk through Romans um, 5 through 8. Romans 8, 5 through 8. So, for those who live according to the flesh, okay, that word those, talking about unbelievers, those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, and it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And then verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So this right here is our hint. This is our hint as we try to define the word flesh in this context. This is our hint, verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So, the reality of the unbeliever is that they are only able to operate out of the flesh. They live according to the flesh. Now, some, now we need to define the word flesh to really understand this context. So, this word flesh is used in a moral or spiritual sense. It's a moral it's a moral sense of our shortcomings. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So it's a moral condition. If we're in the flesh, it's a spiritual depravity. We are, it's, a, it's a self-centered sense of the word flesh. So I'm going to read um, a verse in 1 Peter 4, just to, just to also see how the word flesh is used elsewhere in Scripture. 1 Peter 4.1 says this, since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So, here we hear the word flesh, and it's used in a different way. Because it says, Christ suffered in the flesh. So this isn't the mortal, the mortal, tried to combine the word moral and spiritual. So, the moral and spiritual word flesh, this is a physical reality of flesh. So depending on the context, this word can be used to describe a spiritual reality of our old sinful human nature and desires, or it can simply describe the physical reality of human flesh. One thing I think is helpful to, to think of, what is the flesh that, that exists in me? What is the flesh that my original um, dead nature had? Is, look, is thinking back in Judges. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Judges, but it's an interesting um, book talking about Israel and how they wanted a king. I guess it was before they wanted a king, but they, God put these judges um, over them to, to help them. But we hear a refrain in the book of Judges, and this refrain was this. They all did what was right in their own eyes. So, they, they would turn from God. They all did what was right in their own eyes. And then God would have to bring a new judge in. And they all did what was right in their own eyes. They all lived ungodly lives. Because eventually they wanted a king. That's where King Solomon came in. Or King Saul and then David. So, after understanding the word flesh in its proper context, we see in Romans 8 
based on verses 6 through 8, that Christians, non-Christians, cannot kill sin because they are in bondage to the flesh and do not have the Spirit of God. So, now that we understand flesh and what it means to be self-centered and to do what is right in our own eyes, let's look down to um, Romans 8, verse 9, to kind of see what Paul starts saying of the Christian and our relationship to the flesh. So, Romans 8, verse 9. You, however, talking to believers, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So this here, this is Paul introduces this understanding of the Christian having conflicting desires. He talks about the body. Our body is dead because of sin. This is the flesh that still exists in the Christian. But the spirit of life, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. When we obtain the Holy Spirit through salvation, we have the capacity now to live lives pleasing to God. So now let's let's just move down to verse 12, first half of or yeah, verse 12 to keep seeing this. So then brothers, we are not debtors. So sorry, sorry. We are debtors. Then he says not to the flesh. So this means that we we are we are debtors, we are in debt not to the flesh or to live according to the flesh, but now brothers, he says so then brothers, believers, we are debtors to the spirit. Because God has given us. We live according to the Spirit now. So in summary, the born-again Christian is no longer enslaved to the flesh, but now has the Holy Spirit and begins to worship God rather than self. Later, we'll dig more into the relationship between the believer and the flesh, which still exists in us. But it no longer has ultimate authority over our souls. So this is the introduction to this, this message of killing sin by the Spirit. And if you're taking notes, the remainder of our time will just be broken into three sections. And the introduction had to be longer because understand that this is a lifelong battle that we're in. This isn't something that you're going to understand perfectly in one message. I would even argue that a sermon is that isn't actually where the battle, the, the, the battle isn't fought by listening to a sermon. The battle is fought in your day-to-day life, in your day-to-day killing of sin, resisting temptation. So the introduction had to be a little bit longer to understand this foundation of because I am a Christian, because I have the Holy Spirit, I'm commanded to kill sin. So, but like I said, the the next three sections, um, just to understand the battle and to get some practical kind of ways that God um, shows us we can kill sin. First is the reality of the battle. Then the reason for the battle then the last one is our power in the battle. So first, the reality of the battle. We're just going to look at some texts that show us um, that we are to kill sin. So every Sunday, um, we gather here around God's word, preparing our souls to fight for holiness, remember the gospel, be equipped to minister to the world and to each other. But we should picture this time, picture us as, as like we're a military unit in a bunker in the middle of a war, we're, we're, we're gathered here in a bunker to go over our plan, to go over our battle plan to fight the enemy. 
Now, when, when we're in the bunker, that doesn't mean we're completely safe from the enemy because the war is going on around us and we're here to say, all right, this is how we're going to fight this enemy. But we could still be attacked. Some of us are still attacked. I find myself often sitting on a Sunday morning, just the flesh and sinful thoughts constantly come into my mind. But understanding that this, we're preparing for the battle. We're coming here, we're talking about truth. But the actual battle, as I said, the actual battle against sin is your day-to-day life. From the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. That's where the battle is fought. And I don't know, I might be the only one who, who relates to this this morning, but I swear, as soon as I wake up, if I'm not running to my Bible to, to be with God and praying, I begin to experience selfishness, stress, and evil desires. As soon as I wake up, soon as, all, all day long until I go to bed, it's just, I, I just experience this if I'm not put it, setting my mind on Christ. Because our flesh and sin doesn't take a vacation. It's not like, oh man, last week my flesh was on vacation. I lived a you know, really godly life. Praise God. Um, no, it, it's a battle. This battle is lifelong. This battle is constant. And this battle is stressing. And that's why it can only be done by the power of the Spirit. So, our flesh and sin is constantly trying to manifest itself and tempt us to choose our old way of life over our new life in the Spirit. So we must see this battle as real, and we must stay ready to fight and kill sin in this battle. So the first passage is 1 Peter um, 2.11. So it's talking about our flesh wars against us. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Our flesh wages war against our soul. Do you feel that? Do you feel that when your flesh is, is trying to get you to sin? The spirit is opposed to the flesh. This is the second. So Galatians 5, 16, this is another passage where Paul uses very similar language um, as he's writing to the Galatians as he did in Romans. So Galatians 5, 16 through 21. <clears throat> but I say, walk by the spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. Does this feel familiar? Does this language, do you feel this in your life? For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Can you identify things in your flesh which keep you from communion with God? Can you identify those things? Now verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who practice these things, those who live according to the flesh, who are not at work trying to kill these desires by the Spirit, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then continuing, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We've crucified it. 
we belong to Christ Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean that we will never sin because we see, Paul tells us, that we have to fight and we have to kill this sin. But understanding that it's crucified, it means our flesh is dead. It no longer has control. So another, another section is Colossians 3, 5 through 10. This is Paul, again, writing to church at Colossae. We understand that the killing of our, fre- the killing of our flesh renews our new self, our new man. Colossians 3, starting in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. We have to put it to death. And then he says, in these two you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and that you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So when we put on the new self, when we live by the Spirit, our spirit is being renewed by knowledge after the image of its creator. So when faced with temptation, we can choose, we have, we have two options. We can choose life, which renews our spirit, it renews our relationship with God. Or we can choose the flesh, which feeds our dead sin nature. It's, it's, it's too, we always have that option. We can choose death or we can choose life. We can feed our spirit, which draws us closer to God and gives us more joy. Or we can feed our flesh, our dead nature. So another um, verse just to show us the reality of this battle is Satan wants you to be devoured by your flesh. Satan's job is to have us be devoured by our flesh. First Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Matthew 5. Jesus took the fight against sin serious. Matthew 5. You heard, Jesus, this is Jesus saying, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. You see, Christ taking the fight against sin seriously and, and that, that's why he, would, he, he took it more serious than, than the Pharisees did. Because he said it's not about the outward. Okay, you've never committed adultery. Good for you. But understand that even if you've looked at a woman with lust, the sin is still existing in your flesh. So the Christian's responsibility to kill sin is found throughout the Bible. And I didn't reference anything from the Old Testament. But as you read the Psalms, just look at the Psalms in the way that they talk about killing sin. And they're... they're Hatred for their flesh. So the more we allow the Holy Spirit to reign in our lives and convict us of sin, the more serious and real the battle will become to us. Any time we are faced with our sin or temptation, we can do two things. We can harden our hearts and suppress the truth and give in to our evil desires. Or we can rely on the Holy Spirit to believe the promises of God 
and turn away from our fleshly desires. As I said before, we can choose life or we can choose death. So, moving on, we're going to the reason for the battle. So, why does God command us to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit? You might be asking this question, what is the reason for this? If, if our eternity is secure, if God has forgiven all of our sins, why does he also command us to put them to death, to kill them? So one reason we're just going to kind of do the same thing, just go through some text, is Romans 6, verses 10 through 12. This shows the fact that we are dead to sin if we are in Christ. Romans 6, 10 through 12. For the death he died, talking about Christ, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Now verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then this is a great section because you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus because our, we, we've died to sin. And then verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. This, this is, he's given us the reason and then he's saying why. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Because we are dead to sin. Then he, then he goes on to say, those who are dead, how can you still live in sin if you're dead to it? What this means is that the flesh, the, the condemnation that comes along with sin has been put off. Because Christ has forgiven us and given us his righteousness. We must count ourselves dead to sin and alive, alive to God in Christ Jesus. We are to live out what God has done in us. So, another one is that killing sin will show us and assure us of our salvation. We can look here, 1 John 2. So in 1 John chapter 2. He says this, starting in verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Another one, if you move down to verse 19, same, same chapter. He's talking about people who left the church, people who looked like they were truly saved, people who looked like they were Christians, but then they left. He says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not, that they all are not of us. So, killing sin in our life assures us of our salvation. Now, we need to be careful. We must be careful because right now the flesh may begin to start to rise up and point us to legalism to say, oh, well, you know, I, I can just, I just have to kill my sin and that gets me to heaven. No. Our salvation is not dependent upon killing sin. Our salvation is 100% dependent on Christ's finished work on the cross. Yet, when we are saved, the Spirit will begin the process of sanctification. And this process will begin to kill the sin which exists in us. So it helps us 
assure ourselves of our salvation because we see God's spirit working in us. So again, another one, sin keeps us from greater joy in God. We've got Ephesians 4, 29 through 30. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And then verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So when we live in the flesh, when we, when we sin as Christians, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And this disrupts our communion and our joy in God. So that's one of the reasons why we kill sin, is because sin keeps us from greater joy in God. So John Owen is a 17th century Puritan who wrote a book on um, Romans 8, verse 13. Um, he wrote an entire book, 100 plus pages on one verse, Romans 8, 13. Um, called the mortification of sin. Uh, mortification is a old word for killing sin. The mortification of sin. And, and here's a quote from his book. The whole book, you know, I should have probably included more quotes because it's an amazing book on this subject, but here's just one quote from his book. Do you mortify sin? Do you make it your daily work? You must always be at it while you live. Do not take a day off from this work. Always be killing sin, or it will be killing you. It's one of the more famous quotes from that book, his work on the mortification of the flesh. Always be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. When we give in to, when we give in to our evil desires, and we grieve the Spirit of God, close communion with God is broken, and the result is always bitter. And on the other hand, I've experienced this in, in my life. Sin promises to be sweet, but always is bitter. And sometimes to obey God feels bitter. It feels like death. But it always ends up being sweet after the temptation wanes. And it should, right? I don't know. Have you ever felt this? That when you, like you want to obey God, but it just feels like if you don't give your flesh what it wants, it feels like literal death. It's like, it doesn't make any sense to me. But then you think about it, it's like, well, it does make sense because we're called to, we're putting to death our flesh. So that's why, why sometimes it feels so hard to say no to our sin. So lastly, um, for one of the reasons why we are to kill sin, is that holy lives draw unbelievers to Christ. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. We've already read verse 11. We're going to add verse 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among, among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You killing sin in your life and becoming more holy will help unbelievers see and glorify God. You are to kill sin because lives which honor God, which are holy, will allow unbelievers to see God through us and then give us an opportunity to even preach the gospel. So, we've seen the reality of the battle, the reason for the battle, and lastly, our power in the battle, our power for the battle. So, verse 13 in Romans 8 is the main verse in which we see this, which God clearly tells us where our power comes from. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So, it's by the Spirit. This is the power. 
by the Spirit. Now, a lot of times it's a lot easier to say, and then you understand, well, well, what does that mean? You know, you can say the Holy Spirit has to do it, but what does that mean? We'll, we'll dive into that. Um, but another verse in 1 Peter chapter 2 helps us see our power in the battle. 1 Peter 2, 24, talking about Christ. He bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So Christ purchased our sanctification on the cross. He purchased our justification where we are justified, we are counted right. But he also purchased our good deeds, our our sanctification, our killing of sin was purchased on the cross. So, as we look at our power in the battle, one important thing to, to discuss is that we must identify and kill sin by its root. This, this took me forever to understand. I still don't understand it, really, but I, I can communicate it. Um, is that we have to identify and kill sin by its root. I hope and pray throughout this message that the Holy Spirit has been bringing certain sin, certain things in your life, that he wants to kill. But, friends, do not be deceived. Your flesh and Satan want you to take sin lightly and not see it for what it truly is. It's easy to say, oh, if I can just quit doing this one thing, then I can live a holy life. Or this one thing is the main sin. And a lot of times it's the the outward sins that we want to kill, but the outward sins are really being produced by something that is more inward, more of a root. Listen to James 1, verses 14 through 16, talking about how sin works in the believer, or works, I guess, in every person. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. His own desire. Then, desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Then James says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. So we see here that sin isn't only these physical things. Oh, well, I lied to my parents. Or, oh, I, I stole this from the store. Or, oh, I, you know, I'm addicted to alcohol. I'm addicted to, to drugs. These are sins. But understand that these sins are fully grown. But they start by our desires, our evil desires. So, as I said, the blatant sins like drunkenness, sexual immorality, theft, begin in the desires produced in our flesh before they ever surface to our physical lives. This might be a good picture. We all have sin constantly bubbling up from our flesh, in our minds, in our thoughts. Though they they may never manifest in word or deed. And this is what it means to kill sin at the root. You have to catch it where it starts. You may never commit adultery. But that doesn't mean that the sin of lust is not in you and needs to be killed. So the sin of ingratitude starts in the mind before it ever produces the sin of complaining with our lips. The sin of selfishness and pride appear in our thoughts before it, manner, before it ever manifests into anger anxiety. Lust and self-pleasure 
take root in our lives long before we become addicted to alcohol or commit adultery. But please do not be deceived in thinking your sin only needs to be killed at the level in which other people can see it. We are called to identify and repent of every ungodly desire, thought, word, and action that the Holy Spirit reveals to us. So as we think about the power to kill this sin, one of the verses, one of my favorite verses to, to look at, our responsibility, but really it's God's power, is Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We are to work hard. We are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Friends, the power, we are to work, we are to kill sin, we are to battle this, but understand the power comes from God. So yes, we have a great we have a great responsibility to kill sin, but true mortification of sin can only be accomplished by the Spirit. And now, if this was a secular self-help talk, I could point you to support groups or refer you to a secular counselor or give you tips to, to, to try to replace your sin with more socially acceptable addictions. But if by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body, we live. Killing sin is a means to a greater end. And I hope we understand that. That even when, even when we're preaching the gospel to somebody, understand that being saved is a means to the end of being with God having a relationship with God. God wants a relationship with us. Killing sin is a means to the ends of having better relationship and experiencing joy with our Father. Everything God does in our lives is to bring us to Him so that we can have joy in Him and love to be with Him, desire to spend time with Him. So, practically, some things you can do. Spend time with your Father. Be in his word. Build deep relationships with godly brothers and sisters. I think this is a very vital thing to killing sin, is build deep relationships with each other. Deeper than just, oh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine, you know. That's, that's proper, right? You know, sometimes we, we say that, but relationships where you can sit across from a person and say, this is, this is what my battle's looking like. This is my war. Can't do it alone. This may look like getting biblical counseling. One thing that might be practical for you in your battle with the flesh is receiving biblical counseling. A couple things on that is, one, make sure it's biblical because we've seen that the power can only come from the Spirit. And two, understand that Scripture is sufficient. We don't need anything more than God's Word for all of life and godliness. But biblical counselors, pastors or counselors, can help us apply and see the scriptures they can help us see the scriptures they can help us apply the scriptures and it can help us work through our sin some 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 of the more complex sin we all have sin that is very multi-layered and to truly kill it it will take it takes a lot of time to dig through it so biblical counseling might be something you need to help kill this sin um, and then and then lastly just get to know yourself through the word of god the more you consistently spend time in god's word in prayer, 
the more the Spirit will start to reveal the roots of sin which still live in your flesh. So look at yourself in light of God's Word. Say, God, I want to know you, and then compare your life to what you see in Scripture. And then the Holy Spirit will start showing you um, the sin that He wants to kill in your life. So I'm just grateful to be here and to share this with you. I, I think that we see in Romans 8 that this is a responsibility of us to kill sin. Our life depends on it. Not our salvation, but our, our life and joy in Christ. I pray that as you leave here that you will fight this battle. Fight this battle. Join along with me because I'm fighting this battle. As soon as I step, step down, I'm still fighting it right now. We're always at battle with the flesh, so let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you reveal things to us in your word, Lord, that we would never see, Lord, without you showing us. God, I pray that those here this morning would begin or continue a lifelong battle with their sin and their flesh. Lord, that we would fight sin, not defeated, but understanding that the war is over and that we can fight for joy. We have to fight for joy. Joy isn't easy, God. Joy in you is not easy, Father. We have to fight for it because our flesh wants us to have joy in sin. And this brings death and it does not bring long-lasting joy, Father. Thank you for showing us this. God, I pray that this battle will be fought effortlessly, that we will stay ready. We'll stay ready so that when sin comes, our flesh rises up, we'll be ready to kill it, God. Because you are better than anything our flesh desires. God, I thank you. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this church. Lord, we love you. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.